Good day, folks. This is Shane Hasty for the InfoQ Engineering Culture Podcast. I'm privileged to sit down today with Dr. Ivar Jakobsen. Ivar is sometimes called the father of software engineering and was one of the key contributors to the UML and the RUP and brings a vast level of experience and a huge amount of knowledge to software architecture, software development in general, practices and processes. And what else can I say? Ivar, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. It's just a pleasure. We published an article of yours in 2018 that got a pretty good response. In fact, it was considered to be one of the best papers of 2018, Escaping Method Prisons. What do you mean when you talk about a method prison and why does it matter? We have forever, when we develop software, we have had gurus that have been successful in promoting a particular way of developing software. Um, Some of them have been very successful. Others have not been successful, but still they have got their followers. And whatever method you select today, you will find you have been guided or driven by someone who has had key ideas But then he or she has adopted ideas from everywhere around that he likes and rewritten them in his own language, his own way of presenting the stuff. And he has to do that because otherwise it doesn't fit into his own method. When you adopt a method, you will have to adopt many things. Let's call it the guru's ideas. What is essential to talk about and which practices that guru likes the more than others. So only practices that the guru likes will be in his method. And there are many other practices that he has no clue about that exist, so they are not there. And even if uh, you say we are very open to other methods or other practices, these other methods or practices that you are open to are described in the guru's way of doing it. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, that means that you cannot easily take something else and include into your method because it's not described following the standard of that method. And it also means there is a lot of things out there that you could adopt. The other thing is that since there are many of these gurus, they are not collaborating. They are good guys. Very competent, but they are not competent on everything. So they don't collaborate because they instead fight with one another. So we have had a methods war going on since 60 years, and that is not healthy. So we want to take the practices out of method prisons so they can be adopted. You can take any practice you want, compose them, other practices, and create a method that works for you. And they can come from any other method, any other method created by any other methodologist or guru. And it's an open world. And in that way, you build an ecosystem of practices that people reuse and they improve as they find it the way something that can be done. And you get living library or ecosystem of practices from which you can create methods. So that is the basic idea behind killing the method prisons. Is there not a risk of it devolving then into chaos? 
I think the other way around. Today, if you look at the company, take any big company, they have many methods created by many different gurus. Mm -hmm. So people cannot move easily from one department to another because they have to relearn the vocabulary, the style of how you describe a method. And also, they will have fights because since different methodologies fight, of course, we, their followers will fight as well. So it's really chaotic world we have today. And that has gone on for 60 years. And I cannot understand why we still let that happen. To me, it's nothing less than stupid. But weren't you one of those original methodologists? Oh, yes, I was. That's why I learned it. RAP was my baby. It was mm -hmm. created in Sweden. And then I sold my company to Rational Software, and they further developed what I had done called Objectory. Mm -hmm. and called it RUT because we also wanted to surf on UML. That was so popular at that time. But it is such an immature world when people like me become gurus and people follow me, whatever I say. It cannot be a way to manage the largest industry we have. Mm -hmm. uh, there is nothing we spend more money on than software development in terms of development. Development costs are the biggest in the software industry than we have in anything else. If you collect all the spendings we have on software development in the software industry, it's bigger than any other development we have. Mm -hmm. Car manufacturing, not manufacturing, but the car development mm -hmm. and house development or whatever. So it's a huge industry. We need to be mature mm -hmm. and we cannot be dependent on gurus. It's not like that in the system engineering community, there is a much higher maturity. But of course, they still have a similar problem. They have to select the practice they want to use and so on. But there are no leading, uh, really leading methodologies as uh, in the software industry. Okay, so if we want to move away from the, call them the packaged methodologies and pull out the components, the practices, the processes perhaps, how do we do that as a practitioner on the ground, as an architect, a software engineer? I'm faced with such a plethora of choices. How do I make the right choices? The interesting thing is, and that is what all methodologies have reacted. As long as you want to drive your own method, you don't want to say that 80% is not my stuff. 80% is something that everybody you do or something like that. So what I have done is very little, but it's very special. So they don't want to say that. Everything I've done is very special. And they sell it as if it is unique in, in every aspect. Okay, that is not quite true, but it is a little of that tendency. Now, reality is there is a lot we do the same thing. For instance, we always have to understand what we are going to do. We have to understand the business case. We need to understand what the stakeholders really want to have. There are always some requirements we need to come up with one way or the other. We don't need to make a requirement specification. That's a very big difference. Requirements can be in the head of people. So we always have requirements we need to do. And we need to focus on maybe the most important first and so on. We always build software. We always have a team, at least one team. 
So there are a number of things, and there is eventually always a method, even if it's not treated. So there are a lot of things that we always have, and then there are the differences. So we need to identify what is the commonality, and that is what we have done. We started working on this, not we as talking about me personally. It's a community called CMAT, Software Engineering Method and Theory. We have been working since 2009 on identifying a common ground in software engineering. And in my company, we worked with this idea since 2003 and developed such a common ground before this community was created. But the community did a fabulous job in identifying and developing the ideas. So in 2014, the world got a new standard called Essence. And that standard, since then, been developed with differentiators. So, for instance, Jeff Sutherland has written Scrum on top of his standard. And there are many new things involved in Essence. For instance, you play games, you use cards, and you play games, and you get the team very engaged and motivated to work together in a way we never were able to do before. So now methods are being described using this standard as a platform, as a vocabulary. So they look the same. So if you look at, for instance, a dad and its description is described partly, not all of it, but partly, some practices are described on top of essence. And they look the same way as uh, practices described in Scrum, for instance, and Scrum at scale based on essence. So it's coming. More and more people are adopting it. So is it a pattern language? You could say that. It is identifying patterns, common patterns that we use in software development, but integrating them into something consistent and with a flow. So it's not just isolated set of patterns. It's an integrated pattern, set of patterns. So as an engineer or as a technical lead, perhaps, how would I use this? You have a library of practices, an ecosystem. You go to that library, you pick the practice you want to have. You can get assistance in finding the practice that fit your project. And once you have identified a practice, you just ask the system to compose them into a working method. And then you print cards, you print everything you need to play. It should exist on an app and it is also available on your laptop. And the team members have these uh, cards on their app, a smartphone, and they play games. So this is not only a dream. This is something uh, we have been working on now for more than 12 months, and we expect to launch it in just a few months. So there will be apps and there will be practices so that you can just select them, and they are described using this essence standard. The user story. This is a common practice. There's a fairly common syntax as a I want so that. There's a reasonable level of argument as to whether that's the ideal syntax. What is the essence of a user story? We have developed an essence version. We call it essentialized user story. And it is represented by, I don't know exactly now how many cards it is, but the essence of user story is represented on, say, 10 to 15 cards. 
polkocytes cords. Mm -hmm. And these cords have the essence information of it. For instance, user stories is definitely itself a cord or other elements. I don't really have available right now. I could show you them. Mm -hmm. But you can imagine that all the essential things of user stores with roles and patterns that you apply, obviously it's a 14 chords. Mm -hmm. And some of them, the first one to the left is an index chord. It just tells which other chords are, are there. And the last one, resources at the bottom, give links for more to, to read and use. And then there are a number of practice cards. For instance, there is activities called find user stories. There is another one, prepare user story, and accept the user story. So these are quite easily extracted from the more wider documentation we have on user stories. And then people use these cards to play games. And the games are basically over to get people to talk about it and have conversations. So the value in essence is that it, it has two aspects. One is uh, the technical thing, describing what is the things you really work with, we create and so on, it's technical. The other is the social thing. The teams work with these cards and look upon it. And uh, as you can see, some cards have states, for instance, user story has three states. Each such state is described in terms of what needs to be done to achieve that state. And the discussion people have, have we reached this state, is very stimulating. So the team discuss where we are by discussing which state it has reached. And then we have a story card. That is a work product. That is something you can really touch and look at. And we have levels of detail. So you can decide to have just the values expressed, or you can have identified the listed the acceptance criteria, or in this case, captured the conversation. So they are really helpful in making teams motivated and engaged. Every member in the team will be engaged. I did it personally in China for a company that is now very much in the media, Huawei, the big telecom vendor. We had 30 Scrum Masters, so they already knew Scrum Masters. And we presented the idea, and they were listening, they asked good questions, and they said, looks interesting, we should try it. Okay, so then I went up and gathered people, took a big table, put all 30 people around me, and I identified one guy to be the Scrum Master, and another guy to be a higher level manager in the organization. And he wanted to talk to the Scrum Master. And then the other were team members. And the discussion that followed was so engaging, so motivated. And we continued discussing for two hours around case that they had in their mind. So there was no discussion. This is the future that they want to adopt. You mentioned a new book. Tell us about the book. Okay. We understood that we need to have a very nice story for universities, for first-year students at university. We wanted to get them before they have been so-called destroyed by learning engineering the old way. So we started four years ago writing a book, and I gathered a team of, we were totally five people, 
And the objective was to write a book for first-year students that would be adopted around the world. That's not an easy task because you really need to have the teachers around the world to participate. So we wrote that book before now. We published five drafts of a book. The first draft went only to people that were our friends. So we got, because we felt we don't want to be killed before we have at least done our best. So we had 20 university professors to review it first. And then they increased the number of reviewers. And I don't know exactly how many have given total reviews of a whole book, but it's significantly more than 50 professors or teachers. So now we have got to, in copy editing, we have finished copy editing, the book is finished, it's going to be published one week or two weeks from now as e-books, and it will be, of course, also as hard copy books. But it has already been used at four universities by four teachers in Rhode Island, in Siberia, in Finland, and in Sweden. And all four professors are saying they will never ever teach software engineering the way we did before. So this is a dramatic different way of teaching it. You start by teaching the kernel, the essence of software engineering. Mm -hmm. And that is true for whatever method you use. So it's something you can carry with you that is, will be true for quite a long time because it's so basic, so fundamental. People have no objections to it. Yeah, that is correct. This is a common ground. There has been people wanting more into this common ground but um, we're conservative, so we said only if we are absolutely sure that this will be used by everyone, we have keep it. Otherwise, we let it be something you add later on. So the hope is now that this book will be very well received, and not only for university teachers, because they are the actual buyers, they want something, but also for people who really know software engineering very well, because they see now this chaotic world we have with all these methods, they see it in one consistent way. They can understand all these methods where they fit into a bigger picture. And my role model for this book was a book class I took at MIT many, many years ago. It was a class titled Structure and Interpretation of Computer Programs. And it was by Jerry Hal Abelson. The book was fantastic and the class was fantastic. You learned all subjects in computer science, like computation, evaluation, interpretation, compiling, you know, all these subjects that were so unrelated before. You learned them in one context, using one platform, one language, scheme, which is a variant of this. So that was my role model. I loved that class and I was 40 years when I took the class. So I think that's my role model, that even experienced people will find the elegance in mm -hmm. seeing all these things, how they are related to one another, where we earlier had a chaotic picture. Ivar, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. If people want to continue the conversation, where do they find you, where do they find the essence, and where do they find use case too? They find it on our website, ivayok.com. If you are interested, we can make more Essence the podcast in a couple of months. Yeah, that sounds good. Very nice talking to you, and thank you. Bye.